Thank you, brother. Let's go ahead and stand and turn to our scripture text this evening from Luke 15. This is the known as the parable of the lost son, or sometimes the parable of the prodigal, sometimes called the parable of the older brother. Um, I'm going to title this message, The Good Son. Let's read now from God's Word, Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the young, younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country where he wasted all his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have enough bread to spare, and I perish with hunger? And I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe And put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he's received him safe and sound, your father's killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who's devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Father in heaven, as we come before your word tonight, would your Holy Spirit illuminate And quicken within us this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this evening we're going to get to see the heart of God laid out before us as Jesus responds to a complaint from the Pharisees. And the the heart of God is that God loves the broken and contrite spirit. He rejoices upon repentance. He loves obedience, but only obedience that flows from a love for him. And he hates obedience that is self-reliant and that is only given to try and earn something from God. So with that introduction, let us consider the situation in context of this passage. Now we have to remember, at the end of 
Luke 14, you might remember Jesus spoke of the cost of discipleship. Remember that? He said, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Then in chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So that was the complaint. And from that, Jesus responded. Notice there's, there's really two types of people surrounding Jesus at this time. There are sinners, who the Pharisees are referring to. You're hanging out with them. And there's Pharisees, or teachers of the law, rulers, scribes uh, at the time. So that's really who's listening. It's a very polarized crowd in some ways surrounding Jesus. But as we can see, this is the Pharisees' complaint about Jesus. They, they are not happy. You might remember earlier they complained that he healed on the Sabbath. Remember that? And here they say this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so in response, Jesus tells them three parables, although you might actually see them. And sometimes in church history, they're referred to as one parable. And we're going to see that a little bit tonight. So to rightly understand the parable of the older brother or prodigal son, we need to look back at the two previous parables or situations that Jesus describes because they do build upon one another. So do you remember the parable of the lost sheep? We have a man who had a hundred sheep and he lost how many? He lost one, which is what? What is that percentage-wise? That would be 1% of effectively his wealth because you think back then we can't really relate today, but... Uh, Wealth was pretty much stored up in your critters and your land and your animals and livestock. So this was pretty significant. I mean, if you just somebody said, you know, one of your one percent of your all your wealth gone, you would be like, I'm going to go find that. Sure enough, he goes and finds it. And what's the result? He celebrates. He rejoices. Would any of us be happy if we went and had lost one percent of all of our wealth and then found it again? Of course. But Jesus tells us that this is a parable. He says, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. So this is the picture. This is the lesson. He's sort of telling everybody, we rejoice, right? When someone comes to repentance, we re- that's what we do. We're, we're, we trust in God here. He's, he's instructing. Now, we then have our second parable which is the parable of the lost coin. Now, a little bit different situation. The woman has 10 coins and she loses one. So now what percentage of her wealth has been lost? 10%. This is very significant. Think of all the money you have or all your possessions and 10% is just taken out and gone. Of course, you're going to feverishly search for that and find it. And of course she does. And what does she do when she finds this coin? She rejoices once again. And and once again, Jesus says, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over God, over one sinner who repents. So Jesus, again, he's emphasizing and he's building sort of the the value here of what is lost and that which is found. And so we see a couple things about this thing that's lost. First of all, it's got a lot of value, right? And again, all, all of us can relate You lose 10% of your wealth, that's pretty significant. But Jesus is instructing, Pharisees, you just told me that you're upset that I'm hanging out with these sinners. I'm telling you, they are of great value. They are very precious. 
That's what he's telling them. And then secondly, he's telling us that which is lost needs to be found. And when it's found, that's when we party. That's the celebration. That's when we rejoice. Because when something's lost, like I lost my wallet one time. It was back when we lived in Monument. It was very sad. It was very sad. It's very sad to lose your wallet. It's mainly frustrating because of all the redoing of the credit cards and licenses and things you have to do. But you're never, when you lose something, you're never sure if you're going to see it again, right? You, you lost, Eden told, told me tonight she lost her wallet. And I'm thinking, it's got to be somewhere in our house. <laughs> I mean, you don't really go that far, right? But when you find it, you rejoice. Amen? And so now Jesus brings us to the parable of the older brother, we'll call it. Jesus goes to his third parable. And of course, now, very similar situation, isn't it? But now the stakes are much higher. The man has two sons. He loses one. And if we want to do a little bit of math in public, that means he's lost 50% of his, not just money, but this is his heritage. This is almost way more important, particularly then. We might not think of it in the same way today. But 50% of his sons. And 50% of his sons was sort of a lost of everything he had. Because that was carried on. It's not just a sheep, which is like a business asset. It's not just like a coin, which was money. It's his own flesh and blood is gone. Now, monetarily, if we were to be technical about it, Deuteronomy 21.4 tells us because this was the younger son, the older son got a higher percentage of the inheritance. But if, if this was technical, he lost one-third of his wealth. That's what he had to give as an inheritance to the younger son, one-third. And, and uh, that's pretty significant. Now, what this younger son did was quite terrible. It was very grievous. He forsook his family, didn't he? He left the covenant blessings of his home. And he went to a far country, and nothing really good ever happens in a far country. (laughs) And so he left. He departed his community. He departed his people. He left his family. He left everything. Now, we don't know the specifics of how this went down, but we see an attitude here that he wanted to be free of his, at least his father, perhaps his parents. He was tired of staying home. He had convinced himself that by being getting away out from under the eyes of his parents, that freedom would make him happy. And the sad thing is, we see he really had basically no love for his father. He needed money to go do what he wanted, and he didn't have any money, presumably, but he knew his father had money. I mean, his father had hired servants. He must have been a man of somewhat of stature. But how sad. What the son is effectively saying is, Dad, I can't wait any longer for you to die. Would you hurry up and die so I can get my inheritance and go do what I want? That's not loving, is it? There's no love for this father. But that's what he said. It's a very sad thing. Certainly, Ephesians 6.1 coming to light, isn't it? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Did this, did this go well? For, did life go well for this man? <laughs> no. He clearly dishonored his father, and the promises of God are clearly promises. 
Because think about what had to happen. I mean, today it's very simple of us, for us. We could go down maybe to the bank and say, okay, my, I have to give away a third of my inheritance. Just write me a cashier's check and I'll give it to him. It wasn't like that. There was no banks. Everything was stored up in material goods. What did the father have to do to give away a third? Maybe go sell land. He probably had to sell herds of livestock. This, I mean, this, this probably took time. And then he converted it all into gold or something and then gave it to the son. You think about the toil that was involved. What an insult almost to the father to do this. Maybe he had investments that hadn't quite turned to profit yet. He had to get rid of them. This young man's freedom was constantly a burden upon the father during this season, this desire for freedom. And um, I just want to read to you what uh, one commentator, what uh, one pastor Hendrickson said about this. Um, This entire estate had to be broken up. And the son was not considering the damage, not just not just the monetary damage, but the heart effect that this was having. The young man's freedom would have actually been better for him than the loving care and advice he was constantly receiving from his father at home. That's what he was, that's what he was saying. Father, you're, you're taking care of me, but I don't want it. I want my way. And uh, when you leave, let me just say this, when you leave the covenant home that God has placed you in, it's a very significant action. Right? It may be the right thing to do in some situations. It, it may be. But those are probably rare. In this situation, it was disastrous. And there's obviously also a, a vivid description really given of the, the bondage that this young man went through. He had to join himself to a citizen of the country. And, he, and then he was set to feed swine. Which, of course, what was that for a, for a Jew? I mean, it was, he was not supposed to do that in the first place, but it was ultimately humiliating, ultimately humiliating. And he gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods of swine ate, but of course, no one gave him anything. Do you remember, um, it was probably about a month ago, I, or maybe two, I gave an exhortation on Psalm 37, verse 25. Let me read it to you, you might remember. I have been young and now I am old and I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. Hmm. Was this young man begging for bread? He was below that. He wasn't even able to beg bread. No one even gave him anything. So what's going on here? What about Psalm 37? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But this young man said, maybe I can just be a hired servant in my father's home. Do you see what a significant falling this was? Where do you think he was right before this, when he was spending all that inheritance? He was at the top of the world, right? He was living life to the fullest, and now he's at the very bottom. Such a dramatic fall. He's utterly humiliated. He's lost everything. Not only that, he's burned his relational bridges, we could say, right? He realized even his father's servants had bread to spare, and he does not. And ultimately, we see in this statement, when he came to himself, he realized that, not, that going back to his father just wasn't his best economic option, but he, re- he realized and he confessed that he sinned. He sinned against God. And this was significant. Of course, this is the most beautiful 
work that God does in sinners' hearts is he convicts us. He reproves us. He brings us to repentance. It's that turning work. It's that life-giving work of Jesus Christ. And of course, we saw that parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost sons, now with parable of the prodigal son, and the parable of the lost coin, and then parable of the lost son. And he realized, perhaps through genuine godly sorrow, that he no longer had the right to be called a son. Do you notice that? He, he, he doesn't even expect his father to sort of claim him as a son anymore because his sin, he knew his sin was so grievous. What a change in a man's heart. I mean, he is humble. He is low. Think of the man that said, Father, I can't wait for you to die. Now he is, I, I don't even deserve to be called this man's son. I mean, he is completely changed. This is the convicting, refining, purging, miraculous work of the gospel. Amen? This is it. And, uh, and, and this has turned this man's hard, rock-like heart into a soft, supple, moldable, repentant heart. And praise God for that. The son says, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so what does he do? We all know he returns to the father. And what's the father's response? He runs, he hugs him. Very similar response do we see to the parable of the lost sheep and parable of the lost coin. There is a celebration. There is a, there is a party, if you will, right? We hear that there's music and dancing even going on. This is, this is a significant party. You could hear that from far away in the fields. So such a beautiful scene. And remember, this is, I think, one of the best parts of we see the redemption and the grace of our God, the mercy of our God, is the son, what was the son, he was planning to say something. What was he going to say? Father, just make me one of your hired servants. That was his plan. But that's what he intended to say. But you know what? The father never gave him the chance to say it. Because remember when he gave him that ring? You know what that means? You're my son. You, you receive my inheritance once again, right? That, that sign of sonship. Of course, the sign that we have through adoption in Christ as well. Now, we see the father was doing what? We talked this morning about waiting on the Lord, right? The anticipating. The, 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 the expecting the work of God. This is, the, this is such a great example of it. Because we don't know how long the father had to wait. The older brother said it was years. We don't know. Exactly. We think maybe he was exaggerating. But he throws a significant celebration because he was waiting. He was anticipating the work of God. And of course, he said, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so four critical words there. I mean, these are really gospel-laden words, right? Dead, alive, lost, found. That's, that's what God does. That, that is the gospel of Christ. I mean, if you had to summarize it into like two words, dead, live, lost, found. Amen. And that's what we see in this place. That's what we see in this parable, right? Ephesians 2.1, he made you alive, you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. And of course, in Luke 19, as we'll see when, once we get there, the Son of Man has come to seek and save what? That which is lost. And so what a beautiful occasion where we see humility, repentance, confession, forgiveness, life restored, and ultimately redemption. All in a beautiful story. But the story is not over yet. In fact, 
I would agree with a lot of uh, church scholars who would say uh, Jesus is finally just now getting to his point and his response to the Pharisees. After all of this in, in Luke 15 so far, he now is going to discuss the older brother, which is really Jesus' response to the Pharisees' complaint, that Jesus was receiving sinners and eating with them, which is this horrific thing to the Pharisees, right? And we're going to find out why. Let's look at verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, Your brother has come, because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. The older son was angry. Now, if we were to paraphrase what the older son said, which we don't really need to paraphrase here, but we see that the thing that he seems to be angry about is, lo, these many years I have served you, never transgressing your commandment at any time. Now, we could probably wonder if he really never transgressed his commandment at any time. But, but this is what he's angry about. And this is what he's upset about. Dad, I kept the rules. I was the good boy. I was the good son. I was the obedient one. I was here with you. And you never gave me anything, Dad. Dishonor, then, is flowing now from who now? The older son as well. I served you. I didn't break your commandments. I did whatever you want. You never gave me anything so that I could go celebrate with who? My friends. So we see, we see the approach. He didn't love the father either. He didn't want anything to do with his father. He wanted to go celebrate with his friends, just like the younger son. He wanted to go do what he wanted to do. But he tried to get his part of the inheritance not by running away, but by conforming to the rules and being proud of it and trying to earn it. Sound familiar, Pharisees? The older son was defiant. I kept the rules, Dad, so you owe me. That son of yours didn't, so he's worthless. Do you see what Jesus is teaching here? What does Jesus want? What does God want from his children? Does he want perfection? Does he want obedience to get something from God? God knows we cannot be perfect, doesn't he? God God remembers. God remembers Adam. He remembers original sin. He knows all that. That's why he sent his son. We could never appear before the judgment seat of God with our own righteousness. We'd be enduring the wrath of God immediately, for we are dirty. But in faith, with humility, with brokenness, receiving the imputed righteousness of Christ, we stand before the holy God with the holiness and righteousness of Christ, which is incredible. But with a prideful heart, the older brother, proud of his rule-keeping, condemning others, pretending his rule-keeping somehow made him holy, that's not how we want to stand before the judgment seat of God. If you stop at this moment in the story and just look at the hearts of the two sons, let's just do that. We have this one son who's come home, the younger brother, and they're celebrating, and this older brother who refuses to go to the party. The, the younger brother is, what is he? 
He is a sinner. I mean, he's a rotten sinner. He dishonored. He disgraced his father. He left the covenant community. He squandered the inheritance. He probably sinned in other ways in the far country. We don't even know. But he repented. He confessed. He is broken. He is humble before God. And he's effectively returned like that tax collector standing afar off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Yes, the younger son's soul is alive. Dead, alive. Lost, found. He was saved. But what of the older brother? Full of pride, no love for his father, accusatory, condemning, self-righteous, spewing hatred towards his father, and the repentant sinner, he would not even go and celebrate at all. Standing wholeheartedly in a faith of works righteousness. Give to me, Father. Give to me because of my works. That's what he's saying. I worked for you. You give to me. This is a simple uh, contract, as you will. Now, I'd like us to think about this as parents. For any parents in here, I'd like us to think about this for a moment. What kind of little hearts are you raising? This man had two sons. What are you teaching your children is important? You know, sometimes your elders, we get up and we preach the word of God and we teach it and sometimes it, it really convicts us. <laughs> Pretty much every time. <laughs> but sometimes, as we get to the, the beautiful joy of preaching the word of God, we get intimate with these passages and they refine us. And we pray that they refine all of us. But as we think as, as parents, we, we all love wonderful, obedient children, don't we? I mean, it's good. It's convenient. It's efficient, right? It makes for a peaceful home. It's honoring. It's God-glorifying. And this is important. But what's the heart of our God? Absolutely, we must teach obedience to our children, right? We must teach them honor. We must teach them respect. We must teach them to obey the rules. But are we teaching them That's why we love them, because they do keep the rules. Is rule-keeping that we teach, is that all that matters? Is perfection and an overemphasis on rule-keeping, could that even be growing a prideful, self-reliant, self-righteous little heart? What does God want? Do you remember David, Psalm 51? A broken and contrite spirit. This is what God wants. Are we teaching this? We want our children to love God, to love the gospel, to love the redemption of God. And what did Jesus say three times? We rejoice upon repentance. We should teach teach obedience. We should teach rule keeping. But we cannot forsake teaching a love for the work of God in hearts. And um, that, that's what we really must consider. All of us are very sad when we see, you know, someone run off, an apostate, if you will. And we try to protect against that, don't we? But could you have the, the rule-keeping, obedient child have a dead soul as well in your home? Absolutely. And this is exactly what Jesus was telling the Pharisees. 
He says, you are missing it. Looks great on the outside. Right? Jesus said that later about the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs. Looks, you look great on the outside, but you're dead inside. And Jesus, of course, response implicitly is, you better believe I'm hanging out with sinners and eating with them. <laughs> There's no question about that. That's what I'm here for. They're, they see their sins and they see their need for God. You don't. You kept the rules, Pharisees. You're perfect. You don't need me. They need me. You better believe I'm going to hang out with them and eat, them, eat with them. What did God say as we heard from Hosea? For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Or as Jesus said himself, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So we came to call sinners to repentance. Burnt offerings, rule keepings, pushing rules on others, comparings, pointing out other sins. It's not how we raise children, is it? We teach that love and the knowledge of God is preeminent. And his gospel of grace is what we rejoice over. That love and trust of God, the knowledge of his mercy, his sacrifice to us all that we are undeserving sinners in need of his mercy. So yes, Jesus said, I eat with sinners for I came not for the righteous but for the sinners. He came to seek that which was lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, not the self-reliant. Notice what the father says now in response to the older son. He said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He says, you had me. I was always here for me, for you. I was always here. But like the Pharisees, the older son did not want the father, did not want Christ. The older son wanted stuff. He wanted to be known. He wanted recognition. He had pride in himself. What a warning to us all, isn't it? Are our hearts turned towards God? Or are they turned towards stuff? Or even earning, rule-keeping, law-keeping. Does this save us? Does this merit God's, more of God's love? Could God love you more? Does this give us more favor in God's sight? No. For we do not keep God's law to earn his love. We keep God's law in response to his love for us, don't we? Because just like the older son, we, he had the treasure of his father the whole time. But he missed it because he was blind to it, just like the Pharisees. Blind, the Pharisees were condemning and they didn't even know they were the cold-hearted ones inside. But what does Ephesians 2 remind us of here? God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Faith is not the result of works. Works 
are the result and outflow of faith. Good works for our God. Older brother said, I don't need mercy. I don't need grace. I don't need forgiveness. I'm good to go. I've obeyed the rules. This is exactly, you can imagine, the image the Pharisees were portraying. They were good with God. I don't need the gospel. I'm good enough on my own merit. But of course, there's a blindness there, a boasting in self. So let's apply this to our lives for just to close here. The question is, we, we, know, we see what the older son has done. Could we ever go down this line of thinking? Do you think you could? Because I think a lot of us re- read this and we see the obvious challenges with the older son. And we go, well, yeah, but I'm not like a Pharisee. But could you be? Do we need to be on guard for this in our own hearts? I want to get married. I would really like to get married. I mean, I've been good. I've been a good Christian. I've been obedient. I go to church. I do my Bible times. But there's this cousin of mine who doesn't even go to church, and he seemed to find a pretty nice gal. It's not fair. What's up with that, God? I've been good. It's not fair, God. I mean, don't you owe me all those times? Went to church. I gave some money away. Life's not fair, God. I've been the good son, Father. Why do people who turn from you get the blessings? What are we missing when when we think things like that? Right. Right. We miss, we're missing the work of Jesus Christ and the gospel, aren't we? I mean, it's almost like, you know, when we say things, we're forgetting the gospel of grace, the gospel of peace. And we are forgetting who our Father is in heaven. It's God who gives us perfectly these blessings. Blessings come where? From above, from the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift. We don't want to declare, I deserve better, God. You need to give me something. Works righteousness only leads to missing the gospel. Leads to missing the rejoicing over the sinner who repents. There's no joy in the older son because he's not focused on the kingdom of God but himself. See, Jesus ends this parable by bringing us right back to what we should truly rejoice and delight in. The gospel of God. It is right that we should make merry and be glad for your older For your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What should our hearts love? Should we love what we want? Should we love God? What we should love is what makes us alive. And I think sometimes I know I can get like the older brother. We probably all can because I forget I forget the redemption of God. I forget why I'm even here, alive, living in his grace. Anyway, so undeserving by the mercy of God that I can stand before the judgment seat of God. Thankfully, thankfully, praise be to God, not with my righteous list. (laughs) That would be scary. But with the blood of Christ, with the imputed righteousness of Christ. Why did Jesus come? What should we really celebrate and throw parties over? 
to, he came to free the captives. He came to set the prisoners free. Remember, what did Jesus tell, uh, to tell the disciples to tell John when he was in prison? He said, tell John this. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. This, this is it. This is our God. This is the heart of our God. This is what we love and live for more than anything else. And this is, parents, how we need to raise our children. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born in his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is what we rejoice in. So the other way we could apply this is to remember that Jesus ate with sinners. Do you? Do you eat with sinners? Remember, back to this morning, if we're waiting, if we're expecting God to raise dead men to life, you're going to go looking for sinners because you want to see some people come to life. Amen? Through the gospel. Or do you look at disdain, with disdain on sinners, and say, well, they have, I'm not, they, you know, they have different sins than I do, and they're clearly worse sins than my sins, right? Now, I just want to share with you something that's really, really been a joyful experience in my heart. We have had apostates in this church. We have had people raised in Christian homes and left. But you know one of the most precious things is? Is this what I just talked about, Luke 15, happening in real life? Because one of the most precious things that's been going on in our church that I just rejoice over is that when people in this church, often the people most hurt by those apostates, when they pray for their salvation, they pray for their repentance, they pray for their coming home, it's so beautiful. Do you know the devil hates that? He hates that because it's so spiritually powerful. It's like the preaching of the word of God, the prayers of these saints, just saying, God, you can do this. And I look forward to it and we will rejoice in it. Because that's not a love for self. See, that's not a mind wrapped in what do I need? What do I owe God? What do you owe me, God? That's a love for God and his gospel. And looking forward to the power of God to display right in our lives. You know, do you ever think, what if the older brother the whole time had been praying for his younger brother? What if he'd been doing that the whole time? How do you think he would have responded when he came home? I bet he would have been running right beside his dad out to meet him, don't you? Wouldn't have that been beautiful? Wow. He would have rejoiced, and we need to rejoice. So when you see someone in life, maybe their life seems to be kind of a mess, we could say. This is how I was when my brother told me the gospel long, you know, 26 years ago, and I had a messed up life. May we not think self-righteous thoughts. But may we think, oh, the gospel of God, the gospel of God right there is coming in this person's life. And that's Jesus' message to the Pharisees. 
And, you know, this is like a lot of Jesus' parables. He doesn't really give the ending. It has kind of an abrupt ending. You, know, you don't know what, what happens. You don't know how people respond. But Jesus is saying, Pharisees, come and join me and rejoice with these sinners. Come, we can eat together with them. Yes, you can, you can do this. You can rejoice. It's exactly what the fa- father said to the older son, didn't he? Come, it's good that we come and make merry. Come inside to the party. May we join the Father's celebration. Well, in summary, repentance, this is what God loves. Self-righteousness, this is what God hates. Self-reliance, legalism, man-pleasing, we do. We all need to be on guard for that in our own hearts. Rejoice in the gospel of God. This is why we have life. May we discard all of our self-earning righteousness and lean upon the everlasting life-giving work of Jesus Christ. And parents, what does this teach us? Yes, you must teach obedience. You must teach honor, respect, and love. But may we, most of all, teach a love for God, a love for His mercy, a love for His truth, a love for His grace, a love for the gospel, a love for the beauty of repentance, a love for the undeserving life we have in Christ. And we see as we see the rebellious child and, and maybe you have the rebellious child and the obedient child in your home, guess what? They both need the gospel, don't they? Above all else, may we teach of the grace and mercy and love of God. Dads, let's just speak to the fathers for a minute or the future fathers, maybe one day. Um, do you rejoice in the gospel? Because we're an example to our children, aren't we? I mean, if, you, if I were to go ask your children, what, gets really, what really gets dad excited? You know, is it a sports team? <laughs> you know, is it, is it a clean house? Mm. Ouch. Is it man's praise? Or is it a love of repentance and sinners repenting and coming to Christ? A humble dependence upon God. We can't earn God's favor. We can't. We, we, are, we obey God out of a love for being made new in Christ and been given life. Jesus never said, obey my commandments and then I'll love you, did he? No. He already loves you. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And of course, that's what we do. That's why we trust in God out of love. So if you love his commandments, you cannot wait to, for the opportunity to do that. Love God and live for him. May we take these truths from the word of God today and live them out. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness that you have given us this truth today. Oh God, quicken within our hearts of this older son, because we are inclined and tempted to sometimes strive for earning your love. But Father, we want to love the gospel of Jesus Christ, the repentance that brings, the only thing that brings spiritual life, and that is faith. Grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works that no man could boast, by the grace of our God. Amen.